What if? What if the struggle isn't real? What if everything you've been told is impossible is actually deliciously feasible? What if you could work anywhere, travel, find your purpose, all while growing your wealth and not spending it? Welcome to the Struggle Isn't Real podcast. I'm Cody Sanchez-Baker, and, and my job here is to share how normal people have self-designed their lives, relationships, jobs, and bodies. The question to ask yourself is simply this. What if it was easy? My friends, Cody Sanchez here. I'm pretty excited for this one today um, with my friend Nathan Chan, who's the CEO and founder of Founder Magazine. And this one's titled The 20-something with Millions of Followers and One Ridiculous Rolodex. As you'll quickly see, I think it's applicable on how he built kind of a crazy business and grew it at the ripe old age of being in his mid-20s. But what really captured me in this interview with Nathan was just a few short years ago, uh, Nathan Chan, and you can find him at at founder, F-O-U-N-D-R, so without the E, he was a, a 20-something fixing computers in the IT department in corporate cubicle land in Australia, actually. And then something happened that made him say, nope, never again. In that moment, or maybe a collection of moments compounded, everything changed for Nathan. And he's amassed this huge following, built a business with revenues above seven figures, and as you can probably imagine, now has a dude to fix his computers. But, but what is this that he's built I wanted to dig into? And what's the big deal about it? Well, as we were recording this podcast, Nathan had just returned from interviewing Tony Robbins in New York. Kind of like a typical Tuesday for Nathan. But he's sort of a humble bloke, so I'm sure he's, he's listening to this and, and eye-rolling at my pontification. However, you guys tell me what you think. You know, his first interview was with Sir Richard Branson. And the cover of his magazine, Founder, has been graced by names like Ariana Huffington, Gary Vaynerchuk, Marie Forleo, Damon John, Seth Godin, Tim Ferriss. Woof, to name a few. So let's just say he plays with some big fish. Which is cool for Nathan, but then I was thinking, okay, how is this useful for you and me and anybody listening? And so Nathan kind of gave me the green light on this podcast to ask him questions he'd never been asked before. So we dig into the moments he, just like all of us, was told no, that he wasn't enough, that he couldn't, that it wasn't impossible, but for him it was. And we talk about how he overcame those moments. And he gives us his recipe for how to get in front of big names and absolutely what not to do when, eat, when reaching out to just about anyone. And some of my very favorite moments are at the end where we get into where he would escape if convicted of a heinous crime. And he opens up about his biggest mistakes. So I hope maybe you have a nice adult beverage, a glass of vino, a Corona on the beach, you're snuggled up somewhere and ready to listen to our conversation ripe with questions not appropriate for the dinner table. Please enjoy this conversation with my main man, Nathan Chan. So Nathan, thank you so much for being with us here today on the Struggle Isn't Real podcast. I really appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome, Cody. Thank you so much for having me. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. Well, for those of you listening, uh, Nathan has been such a, uh, a patient 
open human amidst uh, a few companies to run, innumerable meetings to have, I think, and we've had to reschedule back and forth a few times. And so whenever you hear these podcasts and it sounds like it's, it's super easy, I think this is another example of how the grind has a bit more happening beneath the surface than perhaps is shown. So again, thank you, Nathan. Uh, and are you in Australia today? Hey, welcome, Cody. Thank you so much. Um, yes, I'm in Melbourne, hometown. Hi, perfect. Okay. Well, I'm here in Dallas. And, you know, I wanted to actually kick it off, Nathan, talking about something maybe a little bit outside of the direct tactical business realm. And um, that is, you know, last night I was speaking to a group of high school students here in Dallas. And, um, and, I, and I asked them a question, which um, I got some interesting responses, so I'd love yours. And that was, if you can kind of dig back or think about one of your most painful or your first no. And, you know, I'm not talking like a small no, like, ah, no, Nathan, I, I won't meet with you on Tuesday. But a no when it was like, Nathan, no, not you. You know, you're not enough. It's not impossible, but it's impossible for you. Can you remember like what that moment was? And then obviously you've sur surmounted it uh, and moved past it. How did you do so? Hmm. So when you say no, just a no in general or no around like business, like, like aspirations or life aspirations or I guess or someone rejected you and said you can't do that. Yeah. I think it may be whatever no you felt was most poignantly a, a painful moment that you had to move through. It could be business, it could be personal, um, but whatever one kind of comes first to your mind for all those people who think that when they see Richard Branson on the cover of your magazine, that it's all, you know, virgin first class. Mm. <laughs> yeah, no, it's certainly not. Okay, so I've got a few. Um, one, there's a couple that spring to mind. One was, uh, this is back before I started Founder um, in the early days of um, corporate Australia, you could call it. Mm -hmm. um, I never forget, uh, you know, I was working in IT support. Um, actually had no inclination to be an entrepreneur. I had no idea I was going to end up doing what I'm doing today. And, um, you know, I was probably about 23 at the time. So a couple of years before I started Founder and, um I worked in IT support and my job was to uh, fix people's computers, fix their IT problems, you know, serve as a company, an office of around, you know, 150 people. And, uh, you know, I never forget, um, you know, we were getting, you know, complaints um, to, uh, that was going up to upper level management and it come back to like, um, you know, our big boss of IT saying that, um, you know, uh, people can never get in touch with the IT support guys. They don't respond. Like they're really hard to catch. Um, I, I log a ticket in the system, but it just goes to thin air. That's what it feels like. And um, so, you know, um, what we want you to do, um, you've been chosen out of all, you know, the, everyone in your team to essentially do the rounds and walk walk around both levels like you know like whole floors so we had two whole floors um, of office space like massive office space walk around up and down 
all day, every day and ask every department in the building on the two floors if they had any IT problems and if they needed any help. I bet that was fun. And, um, <laughs> well, I said I didn't want to do it. Yeah, I said I didn't want to do it. And, um, you know, because uh, I said it was, I thought it was ridiculous. And, um, you know, I got called into the office, absolutely blasted. And it was by like, the big boss and like, she was quite old. She's like 60 or something. And um, she was just like, do you understand like what a direct directive is? Like a, a direct, um, I don't know what the word she said was something about like a directive, like, you know, a direct request or something like there's no, is like, no, it doesn't mean no. Um, and uh, yeah, I remember walking out of that, like actually almost crying um, because yeah, I, I remember just walking out thinking to myself, um, I am never going to let someone speak to me like the way she did um, mm -hmm. and speak to me like I was just such dirt and like, I just meant nothing as a person. Um, so that was a big one for me. That was kind of a bit of a life changer in the sense that, you know, that, that kind of opened up my mind to, to not want to be beholden to anyone like that. Like, you know, this is my job. This is, um, you know, where I work this is how I make an income. This is how I make money to live. And somebody was just, you know, treating me like absolute dirt. Like I was just, you know, a piece of trash on the floor and um, I could be disposed of whenever that person pleased. I felt so, um, selfless and and um yeah it was a really terrible feeling so that was a big one for me you know that i'll never forget and then another one um was you know when i first started the magazine uh, in the early days you know because this is my first business i think what you just naturally do is you go to events you go to local events you go to webinars you try and learn you read blog posts you listen to podcasts but you're just kind of finding your way you don't really know what's what you don't really know what is good content you don't really know what's going to be helpful to full to you and, and a lot of these you know conferences like a lot of these seminars these free seminars are just a way to sell you rubbish that you don't need or you know expensive packages that you probably don't need and and they put you into high pressure you know sales environments and um i ended up finding myself in one of those kind of the next step of the sales process where it was a discovery session and um you know, I just started as my first four months and, and, um, you know, I was in a small room of people and I shared, you know, that I was working on this magazine and, and, you know, I shouldn't have been in there. Like I was not the right person to sell to. There was no way I was going to spend, you know, 20 on some big business package. And, um, I remember, you know, saying like, I just started this magazine. I just got an interview with Richard Branson. He's going to be on the front cover of issue number eight. And I was really, really excited. And uh, the guy that was running the uh, discovery session who ended up being the found, one of the founders of the company, this, this seminar company that's selling you know, big business packages for like 20 grand, he said to me that, um, don't take this the wrong way, but Richard Branson's been on the front cover of every single business magazine. That doesn't really mean anything. <laughs> And he said, everything you're trying to achieve, like, you know, the, the, the media and publishing uh, world is broken. You'll never make it. I've seen friends that have tried to make it. And, you know, what chance do you have if you're just getting started um, and you would never run a business before and all this kind of stuff. And, um, you know, something like that, you know, I'll, I'll never forget as well. That just helped shape things. Have you ever followed up with that guy afterwards or has he ever gotten back to you? 
Huh. Yeah, it's funny how that works, right? Um, yep. A couple of years ago, when founders started taking off, and you know, because um, this company is like just a, really just an Australian company. Most of our uh, we're a global brand, and our biggest audience is in the states. But you know, we have quite a good presence here in Australia too. And um, you know, it was funny. He he uh, reached out to me. Or, you know, um, a couple of years later, once we started getting some good traction, he said, oh, hey, Nathan, I think it's time we do a partnership. Oh. <laughs> like, <laughs> and I just said, yeah, look, I'm sorry. Like, you know, I was really polite about it. And, and you know, you know, like I don't try and hold grudges or anything and, and I want to try and be as world-class as possible. And it just honestly wasn't the right fit. And, um, you know, because they sell to business owners and it just wasn't the right fit. And we, we don't do things like that. We were exposed, you know, people that sell their products to our audience. It's just not our thing. And, and um, yeah, I just said, you know, look, it's, it's just not the right fit. And I wish you all the best. I'm on it and, and that you want to get in touch. And, you know, I wish you all the best and kind of just left it at that. So, yeah, he did follow up just to want to catch up, which is funny. Yeah, that's fantastic. But what a graceful way to respond because inevitably, um, you know, we all make mistakes. I'm sure I give advice uh, at times that's really poor as well. But I hope that if I ever, you know, am proven so obviously wrong that my response is also a little bit more graceful of coming back and saying, congratulations on not listening to me. Turns out, I don't know what I'm talking about. Um, but, but what a beautiful story. I mean, I, I like to share those no's because I think we all have them. And it's funny, you started off by saying, I'll never forget. And you talked about the woman who spoke to you that way. And I, I sometimes think that we're kind of comprised of these no's and all the noise that is out there and that the really successful people turn it into fuel. So hopefully the people that are listening have had some no's too and then don't let it determine what their, their yeses are, right? Um, so Yeah, 100%. So what, what about the moment that you uh, realized that Founder was going to be the success that it is today? Do you remember an actual moment where you were thinking, oh, gosh, this actually works. I don't have to go fix computers anymore. Yeah, that's an interesting one, Cody, because I still think I'm just getting warmed up and I don't feel like success is... is mm. it, it's very um very personal it's a very personal thing um successful for one person might not need success for the other and for me yeah look founder um has had moderate success um in certain aspects but for me you know i've doing this for four years um what does it mean if i do it for 10 years 20 years 30 years and build a business that's you know everlasting um that's what true success looks like to me where I could, you know, that's legacy. Like I can build a, you know, a brand, a household name brand that impacts the lives of tens of millions of people on a monthly basis through scale. That's, that's what success looks like to me now. Um, but back then, you know, when I was in my day job four years ago, um, when did I work out that this might be able to, to work? I, I might be able to leave my day job and not do it anymore. Well, it took me a while. It took me 12 months to, to build it up so I could leave my day job. And, and even when I did um, get it there, uh, I did have a lot of doubts. I was very unsure of myself. I was very unsure if this was the thing that, you know, um, would be the thing that I want to do for the next, you know, 10, 20 years. Um, and yeah, I just, 
I just really um, didn't know uh, for, for a very, very long time. But then eventually I think what made me realize was just the feedback from our community. I think that is some of the best fuel and motivation that you can ever get hearing from people that consume your products, hearing from people that have received your services, um, hearing from people that have bought your products, hearing from people um, where you've provided massive amounts of value in their life. Um, that's, that's where the true gold is at. That's where um, you, you know, any you know, doubt that you have, it's replaced by motivation and hope and, and excitement. Um, so yeah, it was around that time, I guess, maybe just after I'd left my day job. Um, you know, I, there was, you know, glimmers of, um, you know, when the first month when I started, you know, when we, when we, you know, made like, I think 80 bucks in the first month of subscriptions, it was like, yeah, look, um, you know, maybe I can make this work. You know, we made, you know, $5 on the first day. Um, maybe we can make this work. Let's see how it goes. And then, you know, we get to the third month and, you know, we're making, you know, $500. And it's just like, okay, well, yeah, if I can see this going up, as long as I just keep doing what I'm doing, um, yeah, maybe, maybe I can build this thing up and, you know, Oh, you know, six months in and, you know, we're doing X and Y and then, you know, seven, eight, nine. And there's just like, okay, yeah, look, we're going somewhere. I think I can make this work. Yeah. Fantastic. And what about, you know, Nathan, you kind of got me thinking about those moments of doubt that you, that you spoke about. I mean, I know I have them frequently and anytime I enter a new business, I'm, I'm always, you know, half convinced that I'm not going to be able to, to, to tackle it. And I remember thinking that when I started, you know, the investment business in Latin America and thinking, gosh, these big, huge pensions with billions of dollars are going to, they're not only going to meet with me, but they're going to listen to me about what they should do with their billions of dollars. And, and so again, and again, I would come back to this, you know, internal doubt. And it, and it seems like that's usually what stops people from achieving the thing that they were sort of placed here to do. So do you have a, a practice or a place or a thought or a resource that you turn to again and again when you have those, those flickers of doubt or that voice whispering in your head? Yeah, I do. It's a combination of things. You know, I was in the States a couple of months ago and I was having a bit of a breakdown, not serious breakdown, but I was getting pretty stressed out and I, I don't get stressed out that often, but I said to, to one of my mentors, like, you know, everything's falling apart. Did you ever experience any times like these back when, back in the day when you were just really starting to ramp things up and, you know, hire all these people and, you know, try and really scale your company. And he said to me every day. <laughs> and, and I said, what did you do? And he said, I, you know, I used to do all sorts of silly things, you know, drinking and all sorts of things. And um, he said, it was really, really bad. And he said, you know, don't worry. You've got a solid brand, massive audience, um, great products. As long as you just, as long as you just keep producing great product, keep doing what you're doing, be patient and, you know, don't, don't, you know, spend more than you make, um, then you literally cannot lose. Um, just be extremely patient. Just keep doing what you're doing and, you know, just keep, you know, producing great products, producing great content, um, producing good con you know, you, you content. You just literally cannot lose and be patient. And, um, you know, that one, you know, really helped me. Um, gratitude journal. 
is very, very key as well. I don't journal as much as I'd like, but I try and journal at least, you know, once every couple of weeks, or at least every few weeks. Um, just kind of documenting the journey, just where I'm at. And then um, after I've, you know, documented what's been happening in the past few weeks or week or day, um, the next thing I'll do is I'll do my gratitude where I'll talk about what I'm grateful for. And, and you know, this journal I've carried with me um, ever since I left my day job, uh, which has been really uh, key to see like, you know, um, the, the growth of the business in, in the time period that it's been and, and just being able to reflect. So sometimes that's really, really key as well. Um, sometimes meditation is really, really key for me. I really enjoy doing that. Um, just getting my mind off it, speaking to my mum. I'm really close to my family, speaking to my mum about it. My mum's always really encouraging. Um, speaking to my partner, my girlfriend, Emily, she's really encouraging. Um, so yeah, also speaking to um, other entrepreneurial friends, which is always great to just let your hair down. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that's really, you know, having your, your squad, um, I think very, very important. So yeah, your mentors, you know, people in your crew, your squad, your group, you know, I think when you're doing anything like this, you know, working towards mastery on anything, you kind of have to have people that are 10 steps ahead of you who, you know, are your mentors or whatnot, people at the same level as you, which are your friends, your other entrepreneur friends or whatever you're trying to master with mastering piano, you name it. And then people that, you know, are bef um, like you're, you're ahead of them. So these are people that you're a couple of steps ahead of and, and you actually become, you actually learn more when you teach as well. Um, so I think finding that, that, that can be helpful as well. I couldn't agree more. I always think it's kind of one of my favorite selfish pursuits to dive into speaking to a group of, I don't know, college or high school students or people who are just starting out in their business because it crystallizes your thought process too. You know, and they ask some questions that you're like, huh, why do I do that? And maybe that's not a great idea. Or, oh yeah, here's a process that actually seems to work continuously. And I'm always amazed by, um, especially I think the generation following us. I, I think I'm Gen X, millennial, right on the cusp. It doesn't seem like there's an exact date there, but um, this next generation of even younger millennials astounds me because they're so used to change change has become the constant and so they learn incredibly quickly uh, and so while I think people speak continuously about the negative side effects of, of Millennials that's one that astounds me sort of on the daily mm, yeah I agree um, it's interesting you know the like uh, the different experiences the different generations are having right now like yeah, for for me, I'm a millennial too, and and you know, I I, I don't like those buckets though. At the same time, Cody, like mm -hmm. I, I don't believe I should be put in a bucket either. You know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I can certainly relate. Stereotypes are useful, but um, blurry. No, um, definitely not as easily defined. Um, so let's talk about something else. So you know, one thing that I am working more towards this year is is building out my team, um, and so. 
you know, I have a, an international team, I, I would imagine you do too. And so, you know, some of them are virtual and some of them are actually in my offices. And, um, you know, some of them come from different cultures and have different age groups and demographics and, and social backgrounds. And so, you know, I've heard a lot of my entrepreneur friends say, you know, at, at X number, a lot of them say to me at about 10, 20, and then 50, things start to change as far as numbers of employees. So, you know, I'm in the, the 10 range and then, you know, have some contractors. Um, but as I'm building out a team, I'm always curious about, one, it seems to me one of the most important things and the things I've done poorly in the past have been poor hires. And it doesn't mean that they're bad humans. It just means they weren't aligned for the role or the team. And it can be such a cancerous situation. And so, you know, I, I would be curious on how do you think about the hiring process and how do you think about bringing them on board and how do you think about not only looking for skills, but looking for fit too, or do you think about any of that? Mm. Yeah, look, this is something that I'm definitely no master at either Cody and I'm really starting to learn. I'm a numbers to you around the 10 ish um, number and uh, yeah, similar to you as well in terms of, yeah, our teams. Um, yeah, we, we we have a pretty strong core team here in Melbourne. But we do have people overseas as well doing certain things. Um, from the same thing for you, uh, different cultures, different backgrounds. So um, I'm actually going through the process of hiring some new people at the moment and uh, building out the team here in Melbourne. So first things first, I've decided that um, you either do all local or all remote. Um, I'm going for a hybrid approach where it's all local and the things that we're doing remote are just contractor stuff, like very, very task, extremely refined task driven stuff, like only content, like only write X amount of blog posts, only edit X amount of blog posts. Um, you know, the, the, we've got VAs as well. That's that, that side of things is fine. But in terms of all strategy, it has to come out of the Melbourne office now. Um, you know, all of our, you know, weekly meetings, any of that kind of stuff, it's all coming out of Melbourne. Um, anyone that's virtual doesn't need to really bother about that. They're pretty much effectively treated as a contractor, pretty much. Um, and, you know, that's, that's the first thing I've, you have to choose, and this is something when I learned from one of my mentors, you have to choose whether it's all local or all remote. And then the second thing you need to think about is um, one thing I've learned is in, in when you're just starting your company in the early day, in the early days, in the early stage of growing your startup um, or business, you need people like every single person, um, especially your first 10, your first 20, 30 this is what my mentor told me, and this is what I'm going with and working towards. You know, you know, first, even all the way up to 50 employees have to think like an entrepreneur. They have to be natural problem solvers. They have to be people where you can just give them something and say, hey, this is what I need you to do. I don't know how to do it. I need you to figure out, go. Mm -hmm. And you need to lead give someone a lot of autonomy. And... Um, yeah, you, you have to look for somebody that has strong aspirations around, you know, the space that you're playing in as well. I think that kind of attitude is very, very key. So, um, you know, uh, a lot of the people I like to hire now are people that know the brand. 
Um, I think that's really, really key because a lot of the hard work is done. You know, the vision is already sold. Um, you know, I think that's really, really key from a leadership standpoint as well. And then also another thing to think about as well that I'm finding as well is, is if you, and I don't mean to say this in a non, you know, um, derogatory way or anything, but, you know, if you pay peanuts, you get monkeys. <laughs> so you have to be prepared you know, with, with great talent to, you know, to, to pay them respectively. I think that's something that's very, very key. And um, if you can't afford to pay somebody really, really well, you, you better be sure that you work damn hard to sell them on the vision and uh, what, you're, what you are trying to accomplish. And then it comes back to culture and values as well. Um, this is something that another one of my mentors taught me was uh, when it comes to hiring people, you know, uh, once you start to build out your company culture, it should be all set and refined by your core values. Um, you know, so, you know, you should not have too many, uh, but, you know, our core values are think big, uh, determined to deliver um, teamwork and integrity, um, always be learning. Uh, so, you know, these, these are the things that we live by and think about. And, you know, it also allows us to define um, a role, like if somebody's a good fit for a role very, very quickly. Um, so they're the kinds of things that I'm thinking about when it comes to the hiring process, but then also thinking about the culture, will that person gel with the current team and, and how effectively can they do that role? But I think it's like, you know, when hiring, it's probably like 50% have they done that role and then, um, you know, 30% on attitude and then kind of 20% on problem solving. I really like a lot of what you said there and a few of them, specifically the, the pay well or sell them on the vision. I think that's so true. I learned early on in my first company I exited that, you know, I gave away some equity and um, to a few, to a few others. And I, and I thought that I sold the vision well, but I definitely didn't. And obviously I wasn't paying well. It was, it was paying on a wish and a prayer. Right. And, and what I found mm. is if you give away this, this equity without a lot of like, correct incentive alignment and understanding what drives these type of people. Some people are driven by this idea of an eventual payout and a title and et cetera. And some people just aren't. And so, you know, um, I remember we, uh, we ended up selling the company, so that was great, but there were definitely, you know, two, two equity partners that really didn't contribute very much but because I wasn't very thoughtful in how I structured in the beginning, um, they got paid. And so I think it's so important that incentive structure, how you pay it, and then are they actually really buying into your why or the company's why, regard, you know, depending on how it's set up. Um, mm. Let's talk about this a little bit. You, um, uh, you know, in, in your teams that you have, this is a little controversial, but one of the teams that I have was completely homogenous. So it was, you know, predominantly women uh, because my main business is, is finance. And I have this belief that if we have more diverse humans in positions of power, we'll have a little bit more of a diverse and conscious world. And so I was trying to sort of balance the scales in my little tiny microcosm. Um, and so, you know, I had a lot of women in this, this business, almost exclusively women, and uh, a lot of minorities of different groups. Um, and then, uh, you know, as we grew, started 
having different types of diversity, hired my first couple of guys, et cetera. But I was really concerned about the homogenous culture being one of our glues and what would happen as we added in more people, which is kind of, you know, reverse diversity, right? So I was wondering, you know, when you're hiring, what are some of those non-PC things you think about that, you know, matter or, or do you even? Yeah, look, definitely do think about that for sure. You have to, because I think, you know, um, one thing I will tell you, and I've read a lot of studies around this, and I actually think, um, I, I look at it to, to how I related, like, you know, that, that company that I was working at previously, the travel company where I worked in IT, one of the reasons that I stayed there for four years and, you know, in the first couple of years, I wasn't even thinking about being an entrepreneur. I just wanted to do work in marketing, but at the same time, you know, I was doing my degree and I was happy working in a, in a job that I didn't like because I love the people so much because, you know, I think one reason that a lot of people like to come to work is not just the work itself, but it's the people that keep you there. So I'm constantly thinking, you know, we, we, if we're, if we're, you know, bringing someone, you know, um, to join all the other troops, like um, how are we going to make sure that, you know, how, that there's a good gel, there's a good dynamic and, and um, yeah, cause, cause I, I'd hate that. Right. You know, that happened to with, with um, my girlfriend where she, you know, she started working in a small accounting firm and it was, you know, all, all guys and it just, it was never going to fit. Like it was just never going to fit. So it's a bit of a tricky one that you have to navigate. And I just think it, it comes down to also, and I hate saying this, but if you build a team and a culture, you know, classic Tony Shea, you know, someone that you'd want to have a beer with. Um, and I really don't like saying that, but I think <laughs> that that's what, that's what I'm going with. And, and um, that's what I'm going with. And, and I'll, I'll try and stick to that. Um, you know, full transparency, I haven't mastered yet. I'm, I'm still learning this kind of stuff, but that's what I'm going for. Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. And sometimes we like to overcomplicate things and the, the core truths stay the same. Like the Tony Shea, do you want to get stuck in an airport with this person? Um, so like a couple more, you know, more quick questions, for instance. I always like to ask people in your position, you know, you have interviewed and had, I don't even know, Tony Robbins and Marie Forleo and, you know, Barbara Corcoran and like these big, huge names on your um, magazine and, 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 you know, people that I think everyone listening probably listen to as well. So I'm wondering, you know, is there, do you have a core belief that you believe is true that let's say 99% of the population would disagree with you on or that you find, you know, when you're in a room and, and you have this deep held belief, most people would say, yeah, Nathan, you're nuts. I totally disagree. Yeah, that's a really good one. I'm really not sure because because at the same time, I don't really think about what other people think or kind of define myself as, as that much of a, maybe a contrarian or, mm. I don't know, like, yeah, I, I kind of, I don't know if I can really answer that question, Cody, because I, um, I just don't, I just don't like to me, the way that I think about things or all my beliefs are, are just, just mine and I own them and, and yeah, maybe, you know, some of them, like some people would agree with some wouldn't, 
Um, but yeah, look, not really too sure if there's anything like, you know, crazy kind of Elon Musk style that like, you know, he's the <laughs> only person that believes that he can take people to Mars. I'm not sure. Not sure. I, I don't know. I, I really would like to give you a good answer for that one, but I just don't think I have anything for you. Well, I think when you, when you do, it'll come forward. And if not, I think the, the beauty in that answer is that you don't think overly about what other people are pondering. Um, and, and that's a beautiful thing too, especially when you lead a magazine with a lot of influential people. I think it's tough to not have a recency bias of taking on sort of the thoughts and processes of the most recent, hugely successful human you're engaging with. Hmm. Yeah. Did you get that question from, um, uh, what's his name? The guy, PayPal, ex-PayPal, um, Peter Thiel. That's a question he likes to ask. Yeah. I think Peter Thiel does ask that question. Um, so that definitely sounds like one. I feel like Peter Thiel, I also think the, the other guy that does is a, a similar kind of question is, um, I'm going to forget his name, but he's a huge hedge fund manager and is known for kind of contrarian thinking and David Lynch and, um, and run, you know, and, and, um, is one of the main like found, not founders, but backers of transcendental meditation, of which I, I do, although I haven't mastered that either. Um, so I think, you know, I don't know who I got it from originally, but some of those things just stick with you, you know? Um, mm, yeah, yeah, no, I've, yeah, because I've, I've, I've heard him say that somewhere. I'm pretty sure Peter Thiel, yeah, zero to win, zero to one, yeah. Oh, there you go. Okay. Well, what about, what about this? Um, you know, you have hundreds of thousands of followers for, for founder. I don't even know. Maybe millions now. Um, and um, I'm sure that you get a lot of questions from your audience that are consistent uh, and that you know, they, they ask you sort of in different forms continuously. Are there questions that you wish more people and more entrepreneurs would ask themselves? Not so much things that they would know, but questions that they should answer for themselves from their unique perspective? Yeah. Yeah, there, um, there is. I'm lucky that... Um, Look, uh, yeah, I, I, yeah. Don't get me wrong. I, you know, I, I, I'm lucky enough to hear um, from people in our community every single day, like personally emailing me. Um, a lot of it goes to support now, um, mm -hmm. but, but, yeah. Look, there are certain things. Um, I think, I think one thing that um, I don't know. I think one thing that people need to understand is is it's actually really selfish. Uh, to ask someone um, for their time or to, mm. you know, um, ask them out for coffee or to ask them to pick their brain. Um, I really wish that people just understood that it's all about serving first and asking later. It's actually, yeah, like I said, a really selfish thing to expect someone to dedicate their time to help you. Um, well, like, you know, when you know, you're, you're working on your own thing, um, you know, it, it's always great to help people and give back. Don't get me wrong. And I always try and do that, but you just can't help every single person, you know, and that's something that I got trapped in, um, especially in the early days, just wanted to catch, like, just, you know, like saying yes to every single catch up that everyone wanted to do just so I could try and help. Um, but, you know, then I, as time went on, I realized I'd be, you know, I'm better off working on founder 
and and working on you know all the things that we're working on there around you know scaling our content you know free or premium because that allows me to to help more people at scale right um mm-hmm. and, and the message can spread you know further and you know our content can spread further and farther than than, than me doing one-to-one stuff and um you know that was one thing i think another thing um you know that that comes through a lot is i think uh most people don't want it bad enough um you know we, we have a great community a great you know a group of people that you know, you know in the millions that that follow our content and, and follow the brand and, and a lot of them are very very smart founders like i was just speaking to one before you know he runs uh, you know multiple multi-million dollar company out of the uk watch brand and and um you know we have some really really smart people that that follow the brand and but we also have a big proportion of people that you know are sponsored you know, it's the aspirational sort and um you know uh, they tend to be more often than not um the the kind of um you know the kind of kind of you know founders or aspiring founders or entrepreneurs that kind of reach out more than the, the senior or ones that are kind of in the in the thick of things and um you know one thing that i wish people stood was that um you know if if you want to start a business uh, but don't know where to start um, you know, the only way you can do it is just to try, you know, you can have a million different ideas. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, you're not going to know unless you, you know, try and ship something and try and get yourself, get someone to pay you for that thing that you are shipping or that product or that service. And, you know, you just got to let go of being afraid to fail. And, and, you know, if you really want it bad enough, you will make it work. You can't just be a victim and you can't be scared to fail or worried about what anyone else thinks. I mean, I love that. The victim mentality is such a death blow. And, uh, and you know, and, and I think, you know, here in the U.S., and I would imagine it's similar in Australia, but I speak to a lot of, I'm, I'm Latina, and I'm really passionate about helping Latinos. And uh, the fastest, grouping of, uh, fastest growing group of entrepreneurs actually in the U.S. and really underserved. And, um, but what I've found is that people think it's a little bit elitist almost to say, like you're the only thing in your way in this country for most people with a certain socioeconomic level, you have at your fingertips, right? The library of Alexandria, which is a a smartphone, right? You have through the small business association loans that people have never had before. You have the lowest barriers of entry to a business ever because of the Mm. internet. And so, you know, there is no excuse really. I don't think now if you are in third world countries and I'm in every day, that is a different thing. That to me is like, how did I win the birth lottery? And, and I feel some guilt around that even. But if you're in the US, and I'm sure if you're in most parts of Australia, you know, ah, man, uh, the only thing standing in the way is you. And so I, I love that. Um, and I think it was Cheryl Strayed who wrote Wild. And she said something uh, that I, I don't know, touched me. Um, I'm nowhere near as public as you are in any way. So I I don't get the number of requests you do. I can't even imagine. Um, But she said, you know, I would try, she would try to do the same thing, try to go to coffee all the time with everybody, feel bad when she wasn't enough, when she was in front of them and they wanted more. And, uh, And finally, she realized that you know, she gave her best to them already in any in, in the form of her book, right? That was her gift and her biggest mm. uh, item she could give to anyone. And anything above and beyond that was actually, she was just going to disappoint, she felt. So I thought there was some cool freedom uh, in that. But I think, 
what you said about the selfishness of the outreach is so important because, you know, I'm a salesperson at heart. That's why I've grown every business. And every time I sell, I always try to give something first. And it sounds cheesy and common sense, but it's just not common practice. And so I could only imagine the number of emails you get asking, which is, this is one of my least favorite questions, Nathan, which is, will you be my mentor? And I'm always like, what does that mean? I, I'm intimidated by it. I have no idea what to do with that. Um, you know, like, are we going to sit and hold hands? And, you know, I just don't know what to do with those sort of requests. <laughs> and so, you know, I'm always saying to them, like, don't ask that to anybody, especially somebody successful, because it creeps us out because we don't actually know you. And, you know, like play it cool, kind of like a hot chick at the bar, you know, like real slow approach, little small, tiny question, maybe even give something before you ask for anything. You know, you don't go full board and ask her to marry you the second that you, that you meet her at the bar, right? Um, so I, I like that approach. And I don't think enough mm -hmm. successful people say it's a little bit selfish because, it doesn't make us sound great when we say that, but God, is it helpful for somebody to hear. Hmm. Um, so I want to kind of have you one more question and then I want to let you get back to your day and just crushing life. Um, but uh, like you, you can sort of pick which one you like here. These are one that actually uh, a Navy SEAL friend of mine um, gave me. And so I have to give credit that these aren't mine, but he asked me a few questions. And so you pick one that just like speaks to your little Australian soul. Um, but one was, um, if you have to flee the country, and he said, if you commit an atrocious crime and you have to flee the country, but I'll just say, if you have to flee the country, where would you be found and why? And, uh, and or uh, what's your most like guilty, embarrassing pleasure and or how do you pass time on flights if it's something weird or interesting? So which one just appeals to you, Nathan? The first one. All right. So the flea country, where would you be found and why? Definitely Barcelona in Spain. Mm -hmm. um, favorite city I've ever visited and just, so much fun love the vibe great weather great food just amazing city amazing culture and um yeah it just gets me excited even thinking about it i've been there in like five years six years oh you're speaking to my heart here i am a spaniard so i'm from the south so i'm from alicante which my family's from there but uh, Barcelona is just, she's a little bit of a minx, isn't she? She's got a lot of secrets. I love that city. Mm, yeah, so much fun. Uh, great. Okay, well, um, now we know. Now if anybody really wants to get on your schedule, just send you a plane ticket to Barcelona, uh, and, and maybe, maybe they can make <laughs> something happen. Um, Nathan, I just can't tell you how much I appreciate this. You have a friend in Texas if you're ever in the area or anywhere in Latin America, that's my playground. Um, and, uh, you know, we're, uh, if anybody wants to find you, I'm, I'm guessing the best way is at founder, which is F-O-U-N-D-R on all the socials and founder.com. Um, but anything else that you want to leave everybody with, uh, tell them where to find you, except if they want you to be their mentor. 
Yeah. Um, no, I think you, you said it best. Um, yeah, just go to founder, founder.com, founder without the E. Um, it's a little tech. And uh, yeah, look, I really appreciate your time, Cody. It was a, this was a great conversation. I had a lot of fun. Really I, could, time and I, could, I couldn't agree more. Well, one of these days next time in Melbourne with a, like a Rioja or some type of amazing Barcelona and wine. Um, and, and thanks again, Nathan. Have an awesome rest of your day. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah.